You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. And to markets we go. Uh, markets wilted today as governments across Europe tightened restrictions to battle COVID-19 and the fears of a second wave. We saw stocks on the JSE and in Europe falling for a third consecutive session, taking their cues from weaker markets in Asia and Wall Street overnight, which was pulled lower on Tuesday by Amazon and Microsoft. As the earnings season has gathered momentum and has disappointed a little, and we had a, a plan to go with the NDP and the 10-point plan and the State of the Nation plan and the COVID-19 emergency plan, which thankfully will be aided by an advisory panel which will report to the working committee that will be established in terms of the plan to direct the process to implement the plan. Chantelle Marks, Head of Equity Research at F&B Wealth and Investments and Pietri Redlinghais, founder of Arena Capital Advisors. What do you think of the plan, Chantelle? Well, I mean, you put it very eloquently, uh, the working committee reporting to the the. the I don't even know how many committees there are at the moment. And I think that that's where the frustration lies, right? The bureaucracy of it all. Because on paper, everything is right. The, the, the noise is being made is right. We're going to tackle corruption. We're going to be more efficient in our expenditure. We're going to invest in infrastructure. The problem is just no one believes government anymore. And, and, and a big reason is because things are just delayed ad infinitum. So hopefully, again, this is a, a, another shake-up or another shake-up is a coming and we can actually see things being implemented. I, I believe we have seen some ground being broken on, on infrastructure projects, but uh, that's the only thing so far that I'm, that I'm willing to, to put my money behind. Pietri, your thoughts on the plan to implement the plan? Um, so, I, I mean, I'm going to echo some of your statements and say the plan is to have a plan. Um, <laughs> So I, I don't know. I mean, I, good. it sounds really good, right? It's almost as if, I mean, we've known for the longest time that the major thing that's really going to help South Africa is to fix some of the things that are wrong, fix infrastructure. You know, we've recently seen how the entire railway system, passenger railway system, has kind of been stolen overnight. So now we're going to refurbish and reinvigorate this thing and rebuild it. And look, I mean, they've earmarked 190,000 houses to be built. They've said they're going to spend two and a half trillion rand on infrastructure spending in the next couple of years. That is massive. Um, and that can really, really make a difference. So we've always kind of known that infrastructure spending is, is one of the ways that you can stimulate an economy. It's a way to create jobs. It's a way to, uh, you know, attract foreign investment, all that kind of stuff. And it feels as though maybe there's, there's now a bit more of a keen focus on urgency that this really needs to be done and if it gets done you know in accordance to what was said today then that is fantastic news for south africa but i want to you know i suppose what what both of you guys say is true let's see it happen (laughs) um but in general i think it's a it's a really good sort of it's a really good sort of landscape that was created today we're going to redo the roads we're going to or you know reinvest in roads we're going to invest in railway we're going to invest in water projects uh, we're going to open the market to independent power producers. We're going to relax some of the rules around, uh, you know, producing power at home for yourself. Um, all of that kind of stuff is really, really supportive of the economy. But we've got to see, you know, it is in the pudding, as you say. And uh, and how uh, we manage the, the, the trade-offs and manage to pay for some of these uh, projects uh, and some of this uh, employment stimulus that was announced to create jobs and support livelihoods. You've got to take from somewhere because as I said in my introduction, we are spending money that we just don't have at the moment. So that ball was uh, kicked down to the finance minister who 
took one look at this plan and said, "I'll have another week, thank you very much. This is going to take <laughs> yeah. uh, this is going to take some time to balance." Uh, you did mention something, uh, Chantel, to bring you back in here on Twitter earlier about listing of state-owned enterprises. Just share what was uh, mentioned on that front. Yeah, so I mean, it, it was actually quite interesting. And we actually thought that the president would skirt around the issue of SOEs. And, and there was only a brief mention around some of the things that they're trying to do in order to get the debt, the, the burden of SOEs off of uh, the fiscus. And one of the things that they're considering doing is that if an SOE is, is kind of in good standing, and there are a few, um, believe it or not, then the possibility could be there for them to get strategic partners in or to actually list the companies on the JSE. And this is something that I'm particularly positive about because being a listed company brings an additional layer of accountability. It's actually something that a company like PSG has done for years and very successfully. And if we look at the example of Telcom, it's, it's done actually quite well since being listed and with government being still being a, a large shareholder, it's now accountable to a broader set of shareholders, a broader set of standards, and they've completely tilted that company into a into kind of a pro-growth uh, position. They've cut a very bulky workforce and they've pivoted towards uh, fiber and mobile as opposed to them having been this old copper uh, fixed-line infrastructure behemoth. So there are, shall we say, sparks that uh, potentially could uh, ignite this fire of economic recovery. Uh, but once again, it is all in the execution and uh, we'll be uh, focusing on that with uh, our trio of economists a little bit later on. So let's move on to some of the uh, company results uh, that were announced today. PSG uh, is going to be paying a 377 million rand interim dividend. It's eyeing a recovery. But Pietri, if you look at uh, the decision by a company to pay a dividend, it's very often um, a sign of uh, producing good profits, but also potentially uh, a sign that uh, the executives of the business don't see much opportunity to further invest that. So they take the cash and they give it back to shareholders. Uh, how do you view this decision by PSG? Uh, I guess that's an interesting point that you make. Um, I mean, it sounds glorious, 377 million rand, but it's only like a rand 65 a share, right? It's not not really that much uh, if you think about it for the individual smaller sort of private shareholder um, but yeah I guess you know what's interesting and what I think about is um, some of these holding companies like PSG for example are run by people that are commonly known as the Stellenbosch Mafia um, and it's interesting to watch their movements and what their sort of thinking is so one okay we unbundle Capitec Right, we get a bit more money for it than we thought it was worth, or than what we tell in our books. It gives us surplus cash to pay that to shareholders. But also, it allows the real sort of big holders in these holding companies um, to slowly start divesting from these structures. Uh, and one has to wonder whether or not that is actually, you know, what their intention is. And if they're divesting, what are they doing with their money? 
Well, and what are they doing to unlock the discount? Uh, Chantal Marks, the discount uh, is the talking point when it comes to any of these investment holding company structures on the JSE. Shareholders asking, um, I mean, there's always going to be a discount because you've got to pay an admin uh, uh, layer and, and a holding company layer of fees and all that. But the discounts in investment holding companies in South Africa have grown to eye-watering proportions. I think PSG is, what, 44% or, or somewhere thereabouts? Uh, what what is uh, the board doing to try and close that discount? So I think their their energy today was actually centered around disclosure. So improving disclosure in terms of the unlisted investments and and really the high growth areas of the business. So their thinking is if they show where the potential growth is going to come from and how those companies are performing, then people would want to put their money behind the unlisted investments because it really is the listed vehicles that are that are resulting in a in, in quite a deep discount because you could argue that you could actually make those investment decisions yourself. If you want to own Vario uh, because you like uh, higher education, but you don't really like uh, that kind of high school education or, or primary school education, you don't want to be invested in Kiro, buy Vario in the market. Why do you need to invest in PSG? So, so that was kind of what the thinking was today. And I think that that's quite a, that's quite a reasonable approach instead of just trying to kind of buy out uh, minorities and some of the listed investments or, or making further unbundling. Um, uh, I, I like the approach of more disclosure. Petri? I think if I could just uh, mm. ask a question here. If I'm not mistaken, the, because of the sort of divesting from Capitec, they have to change the classification to an investment from a holdings company to like an investment structure or something different, which does sort of force them to use a different accounting standard for um, how they account for these understood properties. Am I understanding that correctly? Chantal? Um, so what they have to, what they've decided to do is actually uh, change their accounting policy so that they now uh, kind of report profit and loss based on the carrying values of the listed assets and then also the carrying values of the unlisted assets. So you could argue that that could have been one of the reasons why they've improved disclosure. They certainly didn't frame it that way, uh, but it's just so that when when these companies are reporting wide swings and profits and losses, um, it, it isn't really something that. PSG shareholders are looking at or should be looking at because really the value that's being created for PSG shareholders uh, is the, the NAV, right? It's mm. the actual uh, mm. share price movement or underlying values in these companies. And and also what it boils down to as well is if you're growing the, the EAV, the economic value add uh, over time because one can also load up with a lot of debt and, and grow revenue and even grow earnings but not grow that sustainably. So it is uh, for shareholders holders about asking those sorts of questions of the board to ensure that it's a sustainable uh, a sustainable growing entity that uh, I want to jump down now to Adcorp which has just got me scratching my head here now uh, PG markets are supposed to be semi-efficient aren't they or, or are no. markets completely inefficient because well if uh, you were really efficient this morning and had really fast fingers you would have made a ton of money <laughs> but how did the market get it so wrong that uh, we see a 130% surge on, on Adcorp? Uh, how, how could the market get it so wrong? How could they be so bearish on, on a stock? Uh, was it just poor disclosure by, by the company? It's not that widely followed anymore because it has shrunk quite a bit. Uh, what well, happened I think with Adcorp? Let's, let's sort of keep it in context. We had um, this year one of a number of different things happening. Obviously, the COVID crash, we'll call it that, um, was 
absolutely catastrophic for a lot of share for a lot of shares in, in uh, on our exchange. And two, uh, we have ever diminishing trading volumes on the JSE. So, Agcorp Holdings, um, you know, this time last year, say June 20, 2019, was trading at twenty four and sixty and and above, right? Um, 2020, when was, when this year started, we were trading at around 14, 15 rand. That went down all the way to one rand 25. So one has to argue, well, look, is that not maybe overdone? Um, was the market not perhaps too fearful of, of, you know, the unknown? And the lower the share price goes, the less liquid it becomes, the less attractive it becomes to anyone, the more they sell out of it. Um, and then, you know, they come and say, hey, look, guys, we made a lot of money. We're making 20% uh, more profit this time around than what we did uh, last year. And uh, suddenly the market goes, whoops, this stuff is, is, is undervalued. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, last time me and Chantal were chatting to you, we were talking about finding value in yep. and down stocks. Yep. And, and so that's where I was going with this as well, Chantal. If you look at the Ad Corp example, you look at uh, follow a lot of the technical traders, and they they say there are a lot of mid to small cap stocks out there who are displaying some very interesting characteristics. Uh, if you if you look at the charts that potentially have been mispriced by the market and uh, might do another Ad Corp. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, actually, last week we had a DAP IT uh, doing exactly the same thing where. Some of these smaller cap companies have just investors have just completely lost interest. I think we were cov- we were covering AdCorp for years and years. Did it? I didn't decide to see how many clients held it, and uh, only we had only one client holding AdCorp in the entire F&B stockbroking and portfolio management. So you you have a situation where these these stocks are heavily underowned, um, and it's it's not only kind of AdCorp and Adapt IT as you rightly mentioned. They are. There are quite a few of them out there, and some of them actually used to be mid to large cap stocks, uh, but mm. we've just kind Great. of decided to, to yep. stop looking at them. Great, <laughs> one of them, famous brands is one of them, so um, quite a lot of uh, interesting stuff happening at the moment. And then uh, in Reetland, uh, Capital and Regional uh, announced a much better uh, trading uh, and rent receipt update, uh, saying that rental collections and footfall are both improving. And you just need a bit of good news in this space, uh, in Reetland, Petri, and uh, we, we see what happens. Uh, a big bounce for Capital and Regional today. Yeah, I'll be very honest with you, Michael. It's not really a stock that I know too much about. So I don't want to go down a rabbit hole and make comments on something that I don't truly understand. Chantel, is it one you follow? It's a UK shopping centre owner. Um, we can talk about Brexit as well, I suppose, aligned to all of that. Uh, what do you make of capital and regional? Yeah, I mean, I don't follow the, the stock too closely either, but there were a couple of things that stood out in the, in, the, um, in the updates when I was prepping for this interview. One of the things is that it's convenience-focused. That means that their centres are quite close to where people live. Live. The second thing is their footfall is outperforming national averages, which is exactly the same thing that's happening in the South Africa reach space. And thirdly, their basket sizes are larger on a year-on-year basis. So it's very similar to the story that's been playing out in South Africa where people are avoiding large super regional malls. Mm. And they're actually going to 
the, the lifestyle center next door. Um, so a very good result for them, definitely tracking ahead of the sector in the UK. And I think that, it's, that we can take these learnings back to South Africa yeah. as well. And it's logical. More people working from home. So what do you do? If you're working from home, you pop down to uh, the local um, strip mall uh, or um, high street if you've got one. And we're seeing a big increase in footfall in those areas uh, and potential for small businesses and coffee shops and restaurants and all of those things uh, to to really flourish in that environment as well. Very important that. Chantelle Marks, Head of Equity Research at F&B Wealth and Investments, and Petri Redlinghase, Founder of Herenia Capital Advisors, with your view from the market.